Good morning again. It's good to see all of you today. Before we jump into our sermon today, I just want to say, uh, this is my first opportunity really to say this to all of you collectively. I want to say thank you for the way you have welcomed me uh, as your uh, discipleship pastor, and y'all have just opened your arms and your hearts to me and to my family when they've been here. Uh, they're actually going to be here later today also, and, but uh, you guys are always, you're, so many of you are always asking about them, how they doing. If you're visiting with us today, um, I've been here for two months and my, my wife and kids are still in Mountain Grove, Missouri, finishing out the school year. And uh, so, so many of you ask about them and, and I know are praying for them and I just, I really appreciate that. I'm really thankful and, and uh, glad to be part of, of this church family. So just wanted to say thank you for that. Well, this morning we, uh, we continue the series called uh, More Than Happy. And once again, the, the theme that has sort of been running through all of the messages that, Kyle, that Pastor Kyle has been bringing us, uh, that, that theme is this thought, what God wants to do in you and through you is more important than what you want him to do for you. What God wants to do in you and through you is more important than what you want God to do for you. In other words, God's greatest desire for you is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. And you know, I've, as I've thought about that throughout this series, I've thought, you know, that, that doesn't mean that God is some mean tyrant who doesn't want you to be happy. That's not what that means. It just means that, that uh, making you holy, transforming The character of Christ in you, forming the character of Christ in you. In fact, we just sang about that. Holiness is Christ in me. That's holiness. That, what we're saying is that is higher on God's priority list than making you happy at any given moment. Craig, uh, Craig Rochelle, he puts it this way. He says, God is focused not on your happiness, but on your pursuit of Jesus which satisfies your soul like nothing else. Think of it this way. Um, I, I want my kids to be happy, but if their happiness was my number one priority, if that was the highest thing on my list at any given moment, I wanted them to be happy. You know what I would do? I would give them anything that they want at any given time. I would let them do anything they want. I would let them run the show. Because at that moment, that's what would make them happy. But the irony of that is, if we raise our kids that way, they will grow up to be among the unhappiest adults on the planet. Because they will grow up to be selfish and self-centered, and they'll think the world revolves around them. So as much as I want my kids to be happy, more than that, I want them to grow up to be men of good character, men of unselfishness, men who know how to make wise decisions, because I know in the end, in the long run, their lives will be a lot happier than if I focus on their short-term happiness now. So I, for one, am thankful that God is more concerned with making me holy than happy, which is exactly what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, they they paint a picture of the kind of life that God intends to produce in us as we trust him and follow him and give our lives to him. 
So in Matthew 5, he spends the first three Beatitudes telling us that, that God wants to empty us of certain things. Namely, he wants to empty us of, of sin and pride and selfishness. And then as Pastor Kyle uh, shared with us last week in the fourth beatitude, Jesus starts telling us what God wants to fill us with. He wants to fill us with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And then we come to this one. Jesus says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God wants to fill us with mercy. In fact, if we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, as the previous beatitude says, then we are going to pursue mercy in our lives. So let's talk about that word mercy. My initial thoughts when I was thinking about this sermon were that I was going to spend the whole morning talking about forgiveness because I had it in my head that that's what mercy means. It means, it means forgiving people. And so I had all kinds of great illustrations I was thinking about. Man, it was good. It's going to be great. We were going to talk about forgiveness all morning. And then, and then the more I got to study in that word mercy, I realized that that word is a lot, it's a lot deeper than just forgiveness. Sometimes it involves forgiveness, but it's more than that. Forgiveness or, or mercy It involves a compassion for those who are suffering. Sometimes forgiveness is part of that. If somebody has hurt you, then yes, it needs to start with forgiveness, but it goes beyond forgiveness and actually involves seeking to relieve someone's suffering. In other words, it's not just a mental thing or an emotional thing or an internal thing. It involves outward action. It involves making someone's life better. That word mercy encompasses all of that. In fact, if you've heard the phrase acts of mercy, Jesus talks about acts of mercy later in the Sermon on the Mount. Acts of mercy are just outward things, actions that we do to try to make somebody's life better. Even even if they've hurt us. Even if they have angered us. In fact, Jesus teaches later in the Sermon on the Mount that the people we should ultimately show mercy to are the people who in our minds don't deserve it. Either because they've hurt us or because they've angered us or because we or the world look at them and say, well, they don't deserve this. They don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve something good in their lives. The least of these kind of people that Pastor Kyle talked about last week. Those are the people that Jesus says, ultimately, we need to show mercy toward. In fact, there's a, there's a great Old Testament story that illustrates this concept of mercy. If you have your Bible or want to turn in your Bible app to 2 Samuel chapter 9 in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 9, we need to, to uh, know a little background on this. The first king of Israel was named Saul. Saul was not a man who loved God, trusted God, obeyed God, and so finally God told him through the mouth of the prophet Samuel, uh, God said, Saul, I'm going to rip, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you because you have not sought me, and I'm going to give the kingdom 
to what he, what he describes as a man after my own heart. In other words, a man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He says, I'm going to give the kingdom to someone like that. And God found that man in David. And so eventually Saul figured out that, that David would one day become king in his place. And Saul, sent, Saul spent the rest of his days chasing David around the desert to take him out. I don't want him having my throne. He's not going to have this throne. It's mine. And he spent the rest of his days trying to kill David because he knew David was going to take his place. Well, to kind of add some drama to this, Saul's own son, Jonathan, was David's best friend. And Jonathan even helped David escape from Saul a couple of times. And and those two guys, Jonathan and David, they were like brothers, and so eventually Saul and Jonathan, they, they died in battle. David became the new king, just like God said, just like God chose. And one of David's first items of business was to look around and say, is there anybody left from the house of Saul, specifically from the house of Jonathan, who I can show mercy to? And so he asked around, And he found out there was one son left of Jonathan, and his name was, everybody say it with me if you can, Mephibosheth. God bless you. I think somebody sneezed. Mephibosheth was his name, one of those those crazy, kind of hard to pronounce Bible names. Um, Anybody in here have a middle name of Mephibosheth? Anybody? Anybody? Probably not. We need to understand something about Mephibosheth. Think about this for a minute. Saul had been king, and so theoretically Jonathan would have been next in line to be king when Saul died. But Jonathan was now dead along with Saul, which means that Jonathan's son should theoretically be next in line to be king. That's Mephibosheth. So in other words, David could have looked at Mephibosheth as a threat to the throne that he now occupied. David could have looked at Mephibosheth as a potential enemy. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I can imagine some of David's advisors saying, you better take this boy out. You better put a cap in that dude. You better be careful, David, because he might start talking around. He might start gaining some support. He might try to take your place, David. You better do something about that boy. Eliminate the threat, right? At least send him into exile. At least put him into prison. Do something, David. But here's the thing. Remember, David was a man after God's heart. David was a man who hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And so look at what David does. In verse 6 of 2 Samuel 9, it says, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth. I think he was just practicing saying the name, I guess. (laughs) Your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said. Why did David tell him not to be afraid? 
because he had every right to be afraid. Can you imagine Mephibosheth walking into this place, walking before the king, wondering, is he going to lop my head off here? And right from the beginning, David wants to put him at ease, and he says, don't be afraid. Verse 7, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I don't deserve this, David. King David, I don't deserve this. And the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. It says down in verse 11, Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Wow. This is a guy that David could have and some may have said should have taken out. I don't mean on a date. I mean kill him. In fact, you could argue from a human perspective, David had the right to end this guy's life, but instead, he chose to make his life better. That, my friends, is mercy. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. One of the hardest things about mercy is that often God tells us and calls us to show it to people who we don't think deserve it. To make someone's life better, someone who we don't think deserves that. Say, well, why should we do that? Well, the second half of the Beatitude tells us God blesses those who are merciful. Why? Read it with me. For they will be shown mercy. This is a theme we see in some other places in the Bible too. Back in the Old Testament, Psalm 18. In fact, I believe David wrote this. He says, with the merciful you will show yourself merciful. And then James picks up the same theme later in the New Testament. says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Those are tough verses, aren't they? Those are tough verses. How do we we take those? What do we do with those verses? First of all, they're not saying that we are saved by showing mercy. Okay, Let's let's make sure that we don't turn acts of mercy into works that save us. We're not saved through our works. We're not saved through our performance. Thank you, Jesus, because we all would have flunked that test. I know I would have. We're saved through his grace. We're saved by what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, period. So that's not what this is saying. It's not saying we show, we show mercy to people and then that's how we're saved. So what do we do with this then? Let me make a couple of observations. How 
how can I experience the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God and not extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to someone else? How does that work? How do I do that? I mean, if I've really grasped the depth of the mercy God has shown me, if, I have real, if I've had even an inkling of the reality of my sin and therefore the reality of God's grace that has forgiven me and his mercy that has made my life better, then how in the world do I not show that to other people? How can I not do that? God's mercy in our lives compels us to show mercy to others. His mercy in our lives compels us to show mercy to others. In fact, I will go so far as to say this. If God's mercy in my life does not compel me to show mercy to others, then something is very, very wrong in my heart and in my life. I'm not going to go so far as to say that person isn't really saved. That's God's, that's up to God. But we can say something's not right if his mercy does not compel me to show mercy to others. That's what the beatitude means. That's what those other, these other verses mean. If I can't bring myself to show mercy to others, maybe I haven't truly understood the depth of God's mercy that he's shown me. In fact, Jesus tells a parable to illustrate this. Let me put that parable in, in our context here in Pitnaz. Let's say that I go up to Pastor Jim and I borrow $10,000 from him. I mean, he's been a pastor for over 30 years, so he's got a large, vast amount of wealth built up. <laughs> and so, so I borrow ten grand from Pastor Jim. And one day, Pastor Jim, because he's the nicest man who's ever walked the face of the earth, he comes up to me and he says, Adam, um, forget that 10000 Just forget it. I don't want you to pay me back. Consider that debt forgiven. Oh, I'm so happy because I had no idea how I was going to pay that back. And let's say later on I see Pastor Age. And I remember, is Age in here? I don't think he's in here. I think he's outside. Um, Let's say I see Pastor Age and I remember that uh, he borrowed a dollar from me last week. And I go up to Age and I say, Age, um, I need my dollar back. And he says, oh man, I'm sorry, I, I don't have any cash on me, can I pay you tomorrow? And I punch him in the mouth and I throw him on the ground and I start beating on Age, you furry-faced freak, give me my dollar, I want my dollar. Give me my stinking dollar. Oh, hey, hey. Hey, man. Good to see you, dude. Good to see you. Don't mind me. <laughs> now, you laugh, and we're laughing. We're having fun with this. But if you witness that, you witnessed Jim forgive me of a $10,000 debt, and then you saw me go off the rail because A owes me a dollar. You'd think, man, what a jerk. 
you would rightly assess that I must not have truly understood the depth of mercy that Pastor Jim showed me. God has forgiven me of so much. He has made my life so much better than I could have ever made it on my own. Who am I to withhold grace and mercy and forgiveness from someone else? That's what Jesus is saying in that, in that beatitude. You see, the measure of our understanding of God's mercy in our lives is evidenced by the measure of mercy we show others. So that's one way of understanding what Jesus is saying in this beatitude. Here's another. If our working definition of mercy, if our working definition of mercy is making someone else's life better, then we can read this beatitude this way. Blessed or more than happy is the person who seeks to make others' lives better, for their lives will be made better as well. You see, when we invest in other people's well-being, when we invest in other people's lives, we experience something more than happiness, don't we? When we empty ourselves of unselfishness like Jesus talks about in the earlier Beatitudes, when we empty ourselves of unselfishness and we begin to invest our lives in other people, we experience something more than happiness. We experience a joy and a deep satisfaction of the soul for the simple reason that when we give of ourselves that way, We are reflecting Christ in us. In fact, we are, there is never a moment when we are acting more like Christ than when we are, when we are sacrificially, unselfishly giving of ourselves to others. We're never more like Christ than in those moments when we are sacrificially giving our lives for someone else. Blessed are those who show mercy, because when they do, they are thinking, acting, and living like Jesus. And that leads to so much more than just happiness, folks. It leads to joy and a deep satisfaction of the soul. So let me say one more thing about David and Mephibosheth. Why did David show such mercy and kindness to this guy? His potential enemy, remember. Why did David do that? Was it because Mephibosheth, was it because he had such an awesome name? Was it because he was such an awesome dude and he deserved it? not what the text tells us. In fact, we read it. We read the reason. The story tells us that it was David's relationship with Jonathan, the father of Mephibosheth, that compelled him to show mercy 
to Mephibosheth. In other words, man, I love this. It was David's relationship with the father that compelled him to show mercy to the son. It was his relationship to the father that compelled him to show mercy to the son. Let that sink in for a minute. I want you to take a second. I want you to think of somebody in your life who you can show mercy to. I'll give you a chance to write that name down here in a minute, but right now I just want you to think. Maybe it's somebody who has hurt you. And you need to start with forgiving, with letting go of that right to be angry, that right to get even. Maybe it's somebody who has angered you. Maybe your spouse. (laughs) Maybe you had one of those uh, spirited discussions on your way to church today. Sarah and I were first married. We, man, like a lot of newlywed couples, we fought all the time. And I can remember rides on the way to church where you could cut the tension with a knife. And we'd pull into the church parking lot, and one of us would say, Well, put your happy face on. Now we don't go to church at the same time anymore, so that never happens. <laughs> Maybe you need to show mercy to your spouse today. Maybe it's not somebody necessarily who has hurt you or angered you. Maybe, maybe God has just been laying somebody on your heart, somebody that he wants you to be his hands and feet to, his, his heartbeat to, and he wants you to do something to make their lives better in some way. Is there somebody who's coming to your mind? I want you to think about that person And if you're not compelled to show them mercy for their own sake, will you show them mercy for the sake of their Heavenly Father? Will you show them mercy for the sake of the God who created them and loves them and sent His Son to die for them? Will you show them mercy for that reason? We have some tables. A couple of tables up here and a couple in the back. On those tables are some note cards and some pens. And what I want to invite you to do this morning in response to this as we sing one more song. Would you come forward and would you just jot down on one of those cards, the name that God might be laying on your heart right now. Again, it doesn't have to be somebody who has hurt you. It might might be somebody who just annoys you to no end. And God is saying, I want you to go be Jesus to that person. 
Would you write that name down? And then as you're writing that name down and as you're praying, over, I'm not going to ask you to do anything with that card. We were kind of joking earlier in the week. I'm, we're not going to have you sign your name and we're going to put them up on the wall. No, I just want you to take it with you. I want you, just want you to take it home this week as a reminder that God wants you to show mercy to that person and think of something that you can do. Ask God to show you something you can do this week or at least get the ball rolling this week. Don't wait. Something you can do this week to make that person's life better in some way. It doesn't have to be some big, giant thing. Maybe it is. But even a small act of mercy is a step in the right direction, especially if it is somebody who's hurt you. Will you make that commitment to God today? Stand with us. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the mercy you've shown us. You have forgiven us and set us free of a debt. As Pastor Jim said earlier, of a debt that we could never even hope of paying back. But you took that debt on yourself. You paid it yourself on the cross. Forgive us for those times when we've taken your mercy for granted when we've taken for granted all the ways that you have made our lives better and Father compel us now to be your hands and your feet to someone else to show mercy to make someone else's life better because of what you've done for us we pray this in Jesus name If you filled one of these out, go ahead and fold it up so nobody sees it. I want you to hold it in the air. Father, we commit these names to you. We commit these people to you. We commit these acts of mercy to you. We pray that you would go ahead of us that your spirit would go ahead of us and that these acts of mercy would would meet fallow ground and Father if there is anybody written on these cards who doesn't know you then I pray that because of these actions, because of the love that we are committing to show to them, I pray that they would come to know you. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us grace and mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.